of Ephesians, chapter 2. We've been working our way. We preached through chapter 1, a lot of powerful stuff in there. Chapter 2, equally powerful. We looked at some in hymns in chapter 1, and now we're talking about being made alive in Christ. Being a Christian is all about being in Him. Amen. There's no independence. There's no, well, you know, I add a little bit of Jesus to everything I do. No, we're completely lost in Him. And when we're lost in Him, we we become alive. And we talked about uh, regeneration and coming alive and being spiritually dormant until we meet Jesus. And so chapter 2 has a lot of powerful principles in it. Uh, We're going to start... Tonight of verses, uh, we're gonna we're gonna move through verses eleven through sixteen is where we are tonight. So let's just thank God for the word. I'm gonna read you verses eleven through sixteen, and then we'll unpack it. Father, tonight I thank you, Lord God, for this masterpiece that you've given us uh, through the Apostle Paul called the Book of Ephesians. Father, I pray tonight that the truth and the principles here that illustrate how we have been made alive in him would be real to us, that we would be able to enjoy the gifts and the treasures and the liberties you've given us in such a way that uh, they would bring excitement to our daily living. Father, I ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Now, give me a little extra crack on this mic tonight, because I don't want to push my voice too hard, and I want to see people's hair moving, so... So here we go, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you are at that time separate from Christ. Listen to this, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Wow. Everybody happy to be a Gentile tonight? (laughs) Verse 13, but now in Christ, Jesus, you formerly who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having, by it having put to death the enmity. So let's take a look at all that's going on in there. There's a lot. Uh, starts off here in verses 11 and 12, asking us Gentiles to remember a few things. Now, if you weren't born a Jew, and if your mother isn't a Jew, you know, you're not a Jew. You are a Gentile. How many of us here tonight are Gentiles? Now, all of us Gentiles were cut off, crazy, lost, pagan knuckleheads running around without God. Does that sound like most of us before we got saved especially? Not so much on the other side of the cross. But, you know, as you look at this, verses 11 and 12, Paul is a Jew. He is, 
you know, a well-educated uh, Jew under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee, understood the scriptures, a brilliant man. Uh, he's not trying to put the Gentiles down here. He loves his Jewish brethren. He loves the Gentiles. But he wants us to realize a few things about, you know, the fact that we were Gentiles. First of all, verse 11 reminds us that we were called uncircumcision, the uncircumcision by the circumcision. What does that mean? The Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles were not. There was a distinction even in the flesh between the two groups. Now, you, you say, well, why, why call us that? And why reference that? And why is that pivotal? Well, it's, you know, we need to really understand the meaning of circumcision for the Jews. Now, circumcision was the outward cutting away of the flesh. Uh, we understand by being New Testament Christians, that the flesh is bad, amen? All right, let me try that again. Maybe in Spanish. El flesho, no bueno. There's so many people looking. The flesh is bad. The flesh is bad. Being in the, now I understand, you know, it's not our bodies are awesome and God has blessed us. And, but being in the flesh spiritually, being in, under our carnal, sinful nature, that's bad. So here's the Jews, you know, and God is giving them an outward symbol of the cutting away of the flesh. Now, every Jewish male had their foreskin cut away as an outward display that they belonged to God and they were a different people. It was an outward marking. God actually marked his people outwardly. Now he marks us by sealing us with the Holy Spirit. Now we're inwardly marked and set apart by God, amen? but they were outwardly marked and they had a physical distinction between them and everybody else. And it had to do with the cutting away of the flesh. Now, the cutting away of the flesh, uh, this sign that God's people carried around in their bodies, uh, you know, was a symbol that to be a godly person, to, to be in communion with God, you had to divorce yourself or separate yourself from the flesh to some degree. Amen. And that's a good thing for us to understand as New Testament Christians. You know, we don't get saved so that we can just, you know, have liberty and do whatever feels good and just chalk it all up to grace. No, we get saved. God sets us apart. We're, we're to divorce ourselves from the carnal desires of the flesh. There needs to be a separation. And it doesn't matter, you know, how much Bible you know or how many times a week you go to church or how many scriptures you can quote. If you're still in the flesh, you're a carnal Christian. There has to be a cutting away. So the Jews had it outwardly. We have an inward circumcision. But to them, we were the uncircumcision. The Gentiles were, were a different group of people. They were a special group of people set apart by God, God's chosen people. And they bore in their flesh this mark that showed that they were divorcing themselves from their carnal nature. Now, verse 11 is there to remind us that there's this distinction and it starts off here with calling us the uncircumcision. Now, nobody likes to be labeled and nobody likes to be called names. And if I was going to be called a name, it wouldn't be the uncircumcision. But here we are. The Gentiles were the uncircumcision. And, and what does that mean? They were still connected to the flesh and they were disconnected from God. Hello? 
It's more than just symbolic. It's really representing the real spiritual situation that's going on here. You know, the Jews were set apart spiritually to commune with God. And, you know, and here we are separated because we're still connected to the flesh. Now, this uncircumcision and circumcision, those two groups that are represented there, you know, I want you to understand what Paul is trying to get us to grab hold here. There was a great division between us. We had no fellowship with God's people. Uh, The pagan Gentiles had no fellowship with God, and we're going to see it even goes deeper than that. Verse 12 forces us to remember the sad and desperate state we were in being the uncircumcision. Listen to this. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Hello. What a a verse, amen. We're separated from Christ. We're excluded from Israel. You say, what's the big deal about that? All the blessing of God comes through Israel, through the covenant promises. Now as Christians, we are grafted into that so that we can be connected through Israel to the root so we can enjoy the blessings of the covenants in Jesus Christ. Also, the Abrahamic covenant, all, all these covenants that they had, we're grafted in. Are you getting that? But before this, we weren't. We were disconnected, still connected to our flesh. What a mess it is here. You know, alienated uh, from Israel. And you say, okay, well, we can deal with that. Strangers to the covenant promises. You think, is that a problem? Yeah, that's a problem. We're going to talk about covenants in just a minute. And they are pivotal. Uh, But we had no connection to the covenant. And then it says pretty clear, we had no hope and we were without God in the world. Wow. What a sad situation lost humanity was in before Jesus came. Now, a lot of us have a hard time thinking of ourselves as lost because on the other side of the cross, we were saved and we're in fellowship with God and we enjoy all these benefits. But Paul wants us to be reminded of what we came from. We were the uncircumcision. So let's take a look at, you know, all of what was packed in there in verse 12. Number one, we were excluded from the people of God. We were not the people of God. We were not God's children. We were lost humanity. Now it's quiet because that stings right there. Oh, we're all God's children. Uh Uh-uh. That's not true. We're all created in the image of God, but the only way we can become children of God is through Jesus Christ. The, the Jews were children of God, the people of God, because they were the chosen people and God made covenants with them. But not everybody's a child of God. We're in this lost, unregenerated state. And we need Jesus to bring us into covenant connection so that we can become a child of God. But we were excluded from that. Look what it says here. Uh, excluded can also be translated alienated. And, and that's what I want you to see. Alienated means to experience feelings of isolation or estrangement. Does that sound fun? Alienated from God, alienated from the things of God. We were drowning in our many sins. We were practicing sin. We were en- enemies with God, that word enmity. You know, we're, we're clashing with God. We were not God's children. We were not God's people. We were lost. You thought, I came to church on a cold January night. For this guy to pick this thing apart 
and convince me of what a lowly state I was in. I want my money back. Well, you know, for some reason here, and we're going to get to that, you know, the word wants us to be reminded of those things. You would think, you know, well, let's just forget about that. Let's just let that be the past. But, you know, here we are. We're excluded. We're alienated. And that word I said, it means, you know, feelings of isolation or estrangement. You know, we were completely out of step with all the things of God. Do you remember being lost and being in the world and just looking at people who were Christians or looking at the church and thinking, these people are crazy, right? Thinking, you know, a lot of, a lot of us before we became born again, we would look at that, even that word, those are crazy people. Religious fanatics, zealots, whack jobs, you know. We were estranged. We were separated. We were alienated, isolated. We didn't get it. We were out of step with all the things of God, the language, the culture, the customs of the kingdom of God. All of that was foreign to us. It would be as if, you know, we took you on a plane tonight and we flew you out to Kazakhstan. I can't even say it. That's how wacky that place. And we dropped you off there and said, blend in. Man, have you, seen, have, have you seen the Russian alphabet? It's got backwards R's and little... Man, you don't know the culture. You don't know the customs. You don't know the language. You can't communicate with the people. You're going to do a lot of smiling. Food. But if we dropped you off in a place like that, you would have no idea how to fit in. And, and that's how out of step even more we were with the things of the kingdom of God. You see, when we dig into this and find the depth of how lost we were, you know, it gets exciting to find all of what Christ has done in us so that when we're in him and we become alive in him, we can appreciate with thankful hearts all that Jesus did for us on the cross, amen? So we were excluded from the people of God. Number two, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, this is important. You would think, well, what do I need a covenant for? Man, I'm telling you what, you need a covenant. Covenants are the contractual agreements brokered by God with man that dictated how God would interact with man. We needed to be in covenant relationship with God. Why? Because if you didn't have a deal brokered by God with God, you couldn't approach God. Man is sinful, and God is holy, and that doesn't mix. It's worse than water and oil. You got to understand, the only way God was able to interact with his own chosen people was to have a covenant with them. There were times in the Old Testament where, you know, where they would try, you know, to have a solemn assembly and come before God, and and they, they couldn't approach him unless they were, you know, ritually cleansed and they had consecrated themselves in this whole big to do there were times in the old testament where the priests stepped out of line and they touched something they should have shouldn't have and they fell dead see we don't understand the magnitude of how holy god is and how offensive sin is to him and how you just don't promenade into his presence and say here i am god your wonderful creation huh When I think about those covenants, those contractual agreements that God brokered with man, uh, some of them were rigid, some of them were strict, some of them were 
possible to keep. Each one was a stepping stone to the new and greater covenant in Jesus Christ. That, that's the only covenant that man can really deal with because God did all the heavy lifting. Now, unlike the Jews, we had no standing deal with God. We didn't have a covenant. The Gentiles had no covenant. We had no basis to approach God. We had no basis to expect anything from God. Wow. That's what it means to be isolated or estranged. Some of us, even now, who are in Christ and sit under good Bible teaching, we don't get it what it means to be lost. Because we think our lost family and friends, well, they're good people, they're nice, they're, they, they love Jesus. You're either born again or you're lost. And you know I need to stop spinning it and candy coating it and dressing it up and just, if they're lost, say they're lost and begin to pray for them so they can be found, amen? But we were lost. We were separated from the people of God. We were alienated from these covenants. Now, the Jews had some powerful covenants. The Abrahamic covenant that, that is still, it's an everlasting covenant that's still in operation today, the covenant that God brokered through Abraham. I will be with you and make you a great nation. Uh, there, there's this part of the Abrahamic covenant that says about the Jews, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's from the Abrahamic covenant, and that's still in operation today. And you see the nations that oppose Israel and hate Israel and want to destroy Israel. They are some of those most miserable hell holes on the face of the earth. You say, well, why is that? Because I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. When it's in the charter of your nation that we want to drive Israel into the sea and eliminate the Zionists forever, that nation cannot be blessed. I don't care how much oil they got under the sand. And there are many nations in the Middle East that position themselves against the Jewish people. And because of this Abrahamic covenant, that's an everlasting covenant, God still defends Israel and he still blesses those who bless him. That's why the worst thing America could do, forget about who the president is, forget about who's in charge of Congress, forget about you know, you know, what our economy is doing. We better be so careful that we don't step on Israel because every time we do throughout our history, God has held us accountable. A lot of us don't know that what went on even in the last administration is that uh, the last administration decided that they were going to push Israel into a land giveaway to have a two-state solution in the Middle East. And that's a big no-no. And every administration that's ever done that, whether Republican or Democrat, has seen a backlash upon the nation. A lot of what we're going through right now is because we were pushing Israel to do something that was unbiblical. They're not to give up an inch of that territory. Look, if that's too much eschatology for you, if that's over your head, trust your pastor tonight. Always side with Israel, amen? I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. So, you know, we, we got some things afoot here about covenants. How about the Jews also had the Mosaic Covenant? They had the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial system that addressed sin. There was no... There was no way to address sin without the sacrificial system. What? When, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did, an animal had to be killed. Now, here's the Mosaic Covenant. They can deal with their sin by, you know, bringing the right sacrifice. So that was a, a great thing that they had. Why? Because their sin could be temporarily covered so they could have 
communion and connection with God. So they got the Ten Commandments. They got the sacrificial system. They have a, a priest's, uh, a system of priests that, uh, you know, kind of went before God on their behalf and kind of just, you know, prayed for them and interceded for them. How would you like to have a team of people every day praying and interceding for you? And Amen. We're supposed to do that for each other, but let's just, let's just be real. Just a team of people, right? Going in God's presence and calling out your name and calling down blessings for you. That's pretty good for them, right? The Mosaic law covenant, even though it was impossible to keep the law, there were a lot of benefits that they had there. The Gentiles had no commandments, no way to satisfy God, no sacrificial system to cover their sin, no priesthood approaching God on their behalf. We had nothing, no covenant, no deal brokered with God, no expectation of what God would do for us. You say, why are some people who aren't Christians, why do they have nice lives and they're blessed? Because God is gracious. And the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And that's why. But the end of the wicked is destruction. Never be fooled by that. So as we unpack this here and we see the state we were in, as Gentiles, we were excluded from Israel. We had no covenants, and that's a bad situation to be in. Number three, it says we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. Now, this is even hard for us to to just even think about sitting here tonight because we are so connected to Jesus and so blessed in our lives and everything we do that it's almost impossible for you and I to think, what's it like to be without God in the world? Come on, Wednesday night. You ever stop and look around and go, how do people make it without God? I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they smile. I don't know how they, you know, are, are not in terror 24 hours a day. And so here we are coming out of this situation, but when we were the uncircumcised, disconnected from God, we had no hope. Wow. Do you realize what a soul-crushing situation that is to have no hope? Dante's Inferno, which is a, a depiction of an eternal hell, says, abandon all hope who enter here. And that's, you know, kind of a profound thought to think. When you're in an eternity without God, it's forever. There's no way out. It's a done deal. And so just abandon hope. That, that is a situation that is so completely destructive to the human soul. To have no hope. You need hope. And thank God we have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on around us, there's hope for us. Why? Because he's in control, and he has a plan, and he'll make a way. It can't be said in any plainer than Ephesians says it. You know, we had no hope. We were doomed, you know, and, and you think about all these generations of, you know, pagans and the idolatry and the idols they worshiped and the false gods they believe in, and even still today, all the idolatry and false gods that are in the world, uh, you know, separated from God, doomed to live a life of sin and idolatry with no connection to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a way to live a life. You might, 
think, well, we've just about gotten through verse 12 tonight, and you're thinking, you know, thanks, Paul, for bringing all of this up. Because as a Gentile, you, with just those three points that we covered, no matter how thick your skin is, you can't help but feel a little beat up at this point. Anybody? Anybody think, you know, man, I, I wish I was born Jewish. Because being a Gentile, you know, that was quite the condition. That's quite, and we're going to find out that in Christ there's no advantage either way. But the thing is, when you read passages like this as a Gentile, you know, it'll beat you up a little bit. It'll make you feel like, wow, you know, it, it's a miracle. Anybody ever feel like, it's a miracle I'm saved? No, I didn't just mean me. Like, yeah, it's a miracle. No, it's a, that any of us are saved tonight. What a miracle, because this was our spiritual condition before we were in him and made alive in him. So Paul brings all of this up, and it beats you up a little bit to realize, hey, I, I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm grafted in. I was completely lost. My, my heritage is one of hopelessness and being separated from God and sinful paganism and all this stuff. You say, well, what's the point of this, these verses here? All of this is a setup for the next few verses to contrast the wonderful state we have of being in Christ. Sometimes you need to realize where you came from so you can be thankful for where you are. Come on. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the darkness that we've been saved from. You know, we weren't mostly saved, really sweet sinners, you know, almost there. We were lost in the dark. Some of us in gross darkness. It's a miracle that God was able to snatch some of us out. Some of us are the first ones in our families to be saved. Wow. Sometimes we just need to be reminded where we've come from so we could appreciate what God has done for us. Verse 13 I want to read you verse 13, and then I want to show you how it reminds me of another verse. Verse 13 starts off, but now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly far off, and you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 13 starts off, but now in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 of this same chapter, these two remind me of each other, because in verse 4 of the chapter, it said, but God. Amen. We were messed up and lost and broken, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. So we had a but God, and now we have a but Jesus. I'm thankful that God butted in, and I'm thankful when Jesus butts in. Amen. Because it always gets better for me once they do. But verse 13 is, you know, a but Jesus. And, 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 and I see some similarities here. But Jesus, who... You know, but now Jesus Christ, who you previously were far from, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we went from far away to near in our proximity to God. We were estranged from God. We were lost in our sins. We had no covenant connection to him. We were far away. Yet because of the cross and the blood of Jesus and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, the Father drew us the, the, the Holy Spirit drew us. The Son saved us. We got born again. We got filled with the Holy Spirit. We became a child of God. We went from far away to so near that now we're part of the family of God. Amen? What a miracle. 
You know, and th- this is the miracle that can take place in anyone's life on any given day of the week. Salvation. You say, Pastor, don't, don't you want to see dead people raised and blind people's eyes open? And yeah, I want to see all that. But you know what? If the only miracle I could see was salvation, give me salvation. I'll take salvation every day of the week. You know, because bodies that get healed eventually die. But souls that get saved are with God forever and eternity. To me, salvation is the greatest miracle. When, when we're in here on Sunday preaching the word and, and, and I give it all to call at the end and I see hands shoot up, I want to tell you, that's what makes me come back next week. You better pray people get saved. Buy a one-way ticket to Alaska. Never see me again. But salvation is, to me, the greatest miracle and it's by Jesus Christ, you know, that what he did on the cross. We were far away, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our proximity to God has changed instantly. We went from lost, wretched sinners to beloved sons and daughters by the blood of the Lamb. What a miracle that is. Notice the nearness we now enjoy was formerly impossible. And you say, well, well, yeah, it's impossible, but we, we need to stop and realize that it came at a high cost. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I just answered the altar call and said the sinner's prayer, and, you know, I made a good spiritual decision. Listen, Jesus died so that could be possible. You're going to do all that stuff before the cross, and it would produce nothing. The difference is what Jesus did on the cross. The difference is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful substance known to man. It's the only thing that can break the power of sin. Nuclear weapons can't do that. Armies can't do that. Philosophies can't do that. Intellect can't do that. Science can't do that. Come on tonight. Woo! It's okay to act a little while on Wednesday night. You'll be okay. You'll sleep all right. The blood of Jesus is what took us from far to near. I mean, you know, we're far away and now we're near. That's, that's the blood and that's a high price to be paid, amen. We should never, ever forget what was paid for us. We were bought and paid for by the blood of the lamb, amen. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. It took a huge sacrifice on God's part. He couldn't send an angel. He couldn't send a good man. He couldn't just send, you know, a messenger. He couldn't send a prophet. No, he had to send his only begotten son. That's a high cost. Only Jesus could have done what was done on the cross. No one else could have. I was at a funeral last week and at Catholic church and the priest said something from the pulpit. He said, only Mary and Jesus were born without sin. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. I almost jumped up there and tackled him. So the people that were from our church turned around and looked at me and I was just sitting there going... Because if anyone could be born without sin, then Jesus didn't have to come and die. If anyone else had no sin, then they could have been crucified in our place. Only Jesus came and was born of a virgin and was fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life and and took sin upon himself 
to become sin for us, a vicarious substitutionary sacrifice and nail it to the cross and break the power of sin. Only Jesus could do that. Only the blood of Jesus. All the rest of us were born in original sin. If God could withhold original sin from one person, then why didn't he just do that for everybody? Problem solved. Flight's canceled. Jesus is staying home. Sit back down. Jesus is like, whew. That cross didn't look fun. So it's the blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus. And it was a high price that was paid uh, for us. All of those other covenants were great and good, but this new and everlasting covenant is the most powerful covenant of all. We should be thankful for it. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, who's he talking about, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, who made both groups into one, there's unity, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Let's look at verse 14. God goes, the word goes on here, you know, praising all of what Jesus has done for us Gentiles. And one thing that verse 14 points out right away is he himself is our peace. Did you hear that? You know, Jesus doesn't just give us peace. He is our peace. And there's a difference. As a pastor, you could be in turmoil. You could come into my office. I can counsel you. I can show you things in the word of God that give you peace. I can talk you off the ledge and encourage you. But in the final analysis, I might bring you to a place where you can get peace, but I'm not your peace. You see, oh, as long as I'm around pastor, it's peaceful. Talk to my wife. It's chaos. It's not peace. But Jesus actually is our peace. Jesus could show up and say nothing and just be there, and just his presence brings us peace. Amen? I can lead you to peace. You can lead someone to peace, but only Jesus can be your peace. What a powerful thing there. He himself is our peace. Uh, so he's, he's made peace possible for us. There's many things in what Jesus said about leaving us his peace, and he gives it to us not as the world gives. You can dig in and find a lot more about his peace, but just know that, you know, your peace doesn't come from anything else really but Jesus. In the final analysis, if you're going to have peace, it's because he gives you peace and it's his presence that brings it. Um, the, the verse continues here, 14. It says, who made both groups into one. See, that's unity right there, and unity is a powerful thing. Jesus is our unifier. He brings unity uh, where unity can be had. Understand something. A lot of people talk about unity in the world, and basically they'll sit, come to Christians like, well, if you guys will just back down off of some of your, you know, things that we don't agree with, you know, and if you'll just scale it back a little bit, we can have unity. I'm sorry. I don't want unity with the darkness. I'm sorry. I don't want unity with the world. Maybe you do. Maybe some churches do. In fact, I know there are a lot of churches in the ecumenical movement. Doesn't it sound nice? All that means to me is the compromise uh, movement, that, you know, we're going we're gonna to compromise so that we can have unity with the world or unity with false religions or unity with philosophies that are contradictory to the Bible. Woo, Donna's getting it tonight. Go ahead, Donna. I don't want that unity. That's not the unity Jesus died to give. Well, Jesus is going to just make us all join hands and sing kumbaya together. And 
every tribe and every tongue. Not unless they're born again. Oh, I know it's exclusive. But that's just the way it is. There's one way. Yet he brokers unity for us. He takes the two groups and makes them one. He brings unity uh, where there was no unity, where unity was impossible. Uh, he brings it and he, he turns, you know, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, the Jew and the Gentile, he puts them into one body and makes them one. He brings unity to us so that we can have a connection with the Father. There was enmity between us and the Father because we were sinful and he was holy, but now Jesus has brokered unity on our behalf. He brings unity uh, within the body of Christ, the family of God. So there's all these expressions of unity, but realize they come through him. When I see people trying to effectuate unity by human efforts, I don't want to be involved. I get invited to these pastoral groups. We're going to meet with this group and that lost group and this crazy group. Do you want to come? I don't want to come. Because God doesn't broker unity between darkness and light. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're not getting me tonight. But anyways, Jesus made unity possible. Uh, don't forget the early church in, in its inception was primarily converted Jews. They were all Jews there. The Gentiles were added afterwards. So here you got all these Jews that are converted to Christianity and they're, they're under, you know, the, the disciples there and the apostles and you got all these guys and they're teaching them. They're all Jews. Now Paul starts going out and adding these crazy Gentiles to the mix. Paul preaches to the Gentiles and they get saved and then they get filled with the Holy Ghost and everybody's like, ah, now what? Well, maybe we'll build them a place over there and we'll be over here and we're going to still keep the law and we're going to do the, and, and it's like, no, the two of you are now going to become one. Do you, realize, do you realize how tall an order that is? That's pounding the square peg in the no hole. Forget about the round hole, to make those two groups come together. Why? Because the Jews were God's people, and all the Gentiles and all the pagans were constantly afflicting them and bothering them and attacking them and persecuting them. And now you want us to be one? You want us to be brothers? You've been telling us for centuries, don't eat with them, don't hang out with them, don't intermarry with them. Come on. Does anybody get this? You just read it on the paper. Oh, that looks easy. It wasn't easy. It's a miracle. It's unity that was purchased on the cross through Jesus Christ. And that's what makes unity in the body of Christ possible. We don't have to work to do it. We don't have to legislate it. We don't have to try and manufacture it in our own strength. It's unity that's given to us there. Jesus will unify every part of his body that is born again, that is in the flow of what God's doing in the earth, and he'll make it one because it's what he's done on the cross. Now, it says he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Let's take a look at that. Divisions are uh, a very real issue with every tribe and every people group and every nation. You know, you think about the divisions in our own, you know, nation, the divisions in our own government, the divisions in our own community, East Coast, West Coast. You got divisions everywhere. You got divisions in, you know, upstate New York, downstate New York. You got... People will divide over anything. The flesh loves divisions. But it says he removed all divisions and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What divisions 
is he talking about? Well, the divisions of our sin and God's holiness. The divisions between Jews and Gentiles, what this passage is really focusing on. The divisions between our culture and our customs and, you know, our, our tribe and our ethnicity and all these things, those divisions all melt away within the body of Christ. Now, you should have got a little bit more excited about that, amen, because, like, the body of Christ is the only place that answers the cultural divides that plague the world right now. You can, you can try and unite over anything else, and it, it will not last. It will not work. Divisions will creep up again. But in the body of Christ, when you come in and you're saved and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in me and is in you, it doesn't matter where you come from, what color your skin is, you know, how you talk, what, what your ideology is. We are one in Jesus Christ. And that's just a fact. I meet people don't look like me, don't sound like me, maybe don't even like me. And within 10 minutes, if they're Christians, we, we, we feel this brotherly love. It's amazing. Man, you don't feel that any other place. You know, you're like you're suspicious of each other. There's my wallet. People are suspicious of each other. But in the body, we're one. Where'd that come from? Jesus answered the divisions. Now, verse 15 and 16, I'll try and close with this here. Um, this is as far as we're going tonight, but it says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into the one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God, through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. So let's just try and kind of capture all that together here. Uh, the, the text is telling us why Jesus did all this, that, you know, he, he, first of all, he deals with divisions, but then it brings up this interesting word, this word hostility. It tells us exactly how he removed the hostilities. Uh, and you say, again, where were the hostilities? There was hostility on every level uh, within mankind before Jesus came in and disarmed the hostility. There was, this, there was the same hostility between God and man. Do you know, a, a sinner, when sinners come before God, there's friction there. When we're in, in, when we're in sin, there's friction. There's hostility between us and God. That's why the Bible says the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Why? Because when we're unrighteous and ungodly and we're in sin and we say, I don't want Jesus, there's friction between us and God. Hostility. Now, thank God in that hostility, he takes the high road and offers grace. Because I don't know about you, if some of us were God, we would just be wiping people out. Oh, that's your attitude? Zzz. Oh, you think so? Zzz. I mean, yeah, there's hostility there, right? But God answers the hostility with grace and mercy. But we can't pretend there wasn't hostility. There's hostility between sinful man and a holy God. There was hostility between God's chosen people and the Gentiles. There was hostility between every culture, tribe, tongue, and nation. There still is hostility. Every place that Jesus isn't, there's hostility. 
There's division. People fight and they divide themselves. Look in the Middle East. They're all brothers. They all should get along. Yet they're, they're, it's a powder keg right now. And it has been since the time of Jesus. Hostility. Division. How does he answer all of this? By abolishing in his flesh the hostility which is the, the law composed of the commandments expressed in ordinance. So he, he took the hostility, he took all the legalism, he took all of what the law required from sinful man, and he addressed all of that in his flesh. He nailed it to the cross, he broke the hostility down, and, be, and it's, in its place he poured out grace and acceptance and a call to become one within his body. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you hear that? This, that text kind of sums up in a neater way all of what's being said here in verse 15 and 16. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's it right there. So he took all of this garbage, all the junk, all the division, all the hostility, all of what the law required, because the law required something from sinners. The wages of sin is death. And we had a price to pay before we could be forgiven and clean and have connection with God. And Jesus took all of that in his body and crucified it and he broke its power. And now the division is gone, and what's in its place is unity. Now the hostility is gone, and, and what's in its place is love and grace and mercy. 15b and 16 tells us exactly why he did it, so that he himself might take two, so he himself, he might make the two one new person. In this way, establishing peace, and that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by, by it having put to death the hostility. So uh, a confusing verse uh, to untangle there, but what I want you to focus on is the fact that he established peace and that he reconciled us. He reconciled us and God. He reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles. He reconciled every tribe, tongue, and nation. How did he do it? He did it on the cross. He did it with his death, and he did it to make us the family of God. The two groups are one. There's peace and reconciliation. How, how many would say, even though the cross is a finished work, our world needs peace and reconciliation? See, even though it's available to us, we reject it. And I'm not saying we Full Gospel Center, you Christian people out here on Wednesday night, you super saints getting an extra night in. Woo, not just Sunday Christians, amen. You look proud of yourself out there. Yeah, it's this world that rejects the cross and with it refuses peace and reconciliation and is left with division and hostility. Jesus died to take all of that away. What's described here in Ephesians 2 is what allows Colossians 3.10 to be true. And I'll close with Colossians 3.10 through 12. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, 
Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's bow our heads tonight. Jesus, we're thankful that you made us one. We're thankful that you addressed our divisions and you addressed the hostility of our fallen sinful nature. Jesus, we are so grateful as Gentiles who were estranged from God that you reached out for us. You didn't have to save anybody. You didn't even have to redeem the wayward Jewish nation that had hardened its heart towards you, but you chose to break the power of sin in a way that you made salvation available to everyone, especially us lost pagan Gentiles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Father, I pray that we would understand in Christ there is no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Help us to remember that every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.